electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Karen Feinerman will join us, technology permitting. Ahead on Fast and Earnings Palooza, Alphabet, Starbucks, Ford, AMD, all on the move after reporting results. We are digging in on each of these big names. Plus, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is with us. Why he says we have turned a big corner when it comes to earnings. And later, important here's a clue what the nation's biggest home builder said about the future that sent that stock soaring today. But we kicked off with an earnings alert on Alphabet, the stock higher after reporting a mixed quarter. Alphabet's call now underway. We've got full team coverage standing by. Loop Ventures' Gene Munster is listening in on his red phone. But let's start off with Deidre Bosa with more on Alphabet's big quarter. Deidre. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Hey. Just on the call right now. Um, so looking up to you guys, uh, Ruth Port, actually, the CFO, was just talking. I was listening so intently because she was talking about the second quarter. And she said that they are seeing some signs of commercial activity recovering. But she said that it would be too early, too premature to make any kind of conclusion or talk about how durable that may be. Now, going back to the results, the ad revenues were hit, but perhaps not to the extent as Wall Street was expecting. So um, Sundar Pichar, he echoed the comments that CFO Ruth Poor at Med saying, made, saying that it was a tale of two quarters, um, strong at the start, then ad revenue declined. He also struck an optimistic note, saying that he had some reasons to be confident. Have a listen. There's no thought, so let me just explain that to you. He said um, that he was optimistic because, as they saw after the financial crisis in 2008, one of the strongest features of search is that it can be adjusted easily. You can turn it on and off, so that is cost-effective for many of their customers. He also said that their business, the Alphabet business, is more diversified now than it was in 2008. He said the prime example of that was cloud. So Alphabet saying that they are not going to be cutting any investments or headcount or hiring in cloud, whereas they are in terms of short-term levers, which we have heard over the past quarter. Um, Pichai also said that YouTube and Android Play were bright spots. He said that they now have 2.5 billion monthly active play devices worldwide. This fits into the contact tracing story that um, Google is working on with Apple. Tells you the huge reach that that could have. Guys, I also want to uh, talk about Alphabet's capital return program. This was a major question for many on the street. The company repurchased $8.5 billion worth of shares in the quarter and uh, CFO Ruth Porat telling us that that remains intact, that $25 billion share repurchase program. Um, the call's still going and I'll get back on it. Expect Q&A to start very soon. All right, Deidre, any color when it came to the commentary about the pickup in commercial activity in the second quarter, where that commercial activity might be coming from, whether it be travel or small, medium-sized businesses, which are huge advertisers for Google, or maybe even geographically in terms of maybe the places hardest hit past the peak are starting to pick up now? That's a great question, Melissa. They were just getting into it, which is why I was late to look up at you guys. Um, But she said that they're seeing some recover. But when I did speak to CFO Ruth Port on the phone, I did ask her directly if there was any surprises, if they're seeing any um, business pick up among certain industries. She 
hesitated. She said she wouldn't call out any specific industry. And as you mentioned, travel makes up a lot of Google's ad exposure. But she said that there were pockets within um, many of them that were seeing some bumps. Uh, she didn't say exactly what. I'm hoping that they'll give a little bit more color there on the call. She just said that they're seeing a little bit more um, and did not want to draw any conclusions. So they're clearly being quite cautious, but also striking a little bit of a confident note, which is perhaps why you're seeing shares up about 4% in the after hours. All right. Get back to that call, Deidre. Thank you so much, Deidre Bosa. Uh, Guy Dami, I go to you. Deidre had mentioned the shares up about 4%. We were down 3% uh, during the regular session for Google. So if you put that move in context, uh, I don't know if there's a real judgment in the stock market so far on how the quarter was. Now, so look, so to your point, we're basically where we closed yesterday at 1270 or so of if my math is right. So let's, that's number one. So we basically got back where we lost today, number one. Number two, uh, I think what you're encouraged by is the YouTube year-over-year revenue growth. You're probably growing at 34 35%. That's good. YouTube's probably now 10 11% of overall revenue. What you're disappointed about, I think, is the fact that acquisition costs went up, which means that operating margins are now below 20%. Now, you can make a very compelling case for Google on a, on a multiple level and just in terms of a cost level. It's not expensive in terms of earnings. But this is what I would say. It made an all-time high of 1530 or so on February 20th. The recent low on March 23rd was basically 1008 So it's not surprising that this 1270 level has been sort of a point of where it's just sort of stalled now for a week or so. If you're bullish on the overall market, I think you say, you know what, good enough, the stock's going to continue to go higher. But if you think today is some sort of turn, which, by the way, I do, I think you're taking profits here and looking to buy Google cheaper than where we are right now. I mean, largely, most people, Grasso, are looking through the quarter that was reported. If they can get engagement higher, is this then a move for more share in the future? And when advertising does come back, they may be in a better position to actually monetize that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I like the way you set it up with Guy talking about today's move. And I think if you look at the backdrop of what we've seen, the FANG stocks uh, for the last two days have been sold off because there's no way that their safety bet or their safety status that we've seen in the last couple of weeks can really play out with the rubber meeting the road. So what do I mean by that? You have earnings. I don't think the earnings are going to match up. And when Google says they're diversified, out of their main search business, they're, they're making $160 billion. The next best bet is $660 million in their other bets. They are not diversified. They're attached to the ad spend. So that's, that's one thing. Yes, on one, on one side of the scale, you have the engagement. But we need to look through corona to get back to normal life before we start worrying about how these things play out. So... I will tell you that if these numbers, which seem okay, seem to last for the rest of the FANG names, then you could see basically that unwind, that rotation that we've seen in the last two days or so into value sort of go, uh, fall off the table. I'm long value. I'm long growth. I'd like to see that, that value play work for the next couple of weeks. But if we get earnings out of Facebook tomorrow and earnings out of Netflix and on the whole gamut of them, I think it'll be enough to make it so that this rotation only lasts for a couple of days. But I'm pulling for tech growth to be sold 
and value to be bought at this point in the equation. Tim, come into the conversation. Yeah, so look, I, I think you, I, I want to talk bottom up. I want to talk about Google relative to themselves and relative to the growth areas. Look, YouTube uh, up 33% on, on ad revenues is, is fantastic. It's a $4 billion business. Uh, we wanted to see this thing grow. What's going on in cloud for them up 52%. Remember where the multiples coming for other big players in, in, in mega cap tech, obviously Amazon is coming from cloud and Microsoft. Look at that. So uh, up 52% on cloud. We all know that it's roughly a 59% ad spend story at Google. Um, and everybody knows the, the concern we have around the ad business. I, I want to say uh, here's a, a, a positive spin on that. Uh, what's going on in linear TV and the eventual destruction and that which is also helping Netflix even during a difficult time of competition is fantastic for Google. Um, this is a tailwind for YouTube. It's a tailwind for some of their other businesses. So um, if you look at this uh, as a tale of two quarters, as we heard uh, it described, um, I, I think relative to uh, e either one of those quarters, the core businesses that you want to see grow are doing better than expected. This is a 20 times multiple for a company of that size where almost 18 percent of the company's market cap is in cash. This is the easiest uh, you know, high conviction play in the market for me right now. And I think it's something people, uh, despite the obvious headwinds, should get comfortable with the bottom up story as much as the top down. Karen Beinerman, your shots here. So what you make of the quarter? Yes. OK, sorry about that. I thought it was a, it was a relief. I mean, you know, clearly the um, the revenue numbers are good. But really, the, the question about the story is what's going to happen now? But um, I think that, uh, I guess, so it's a complete reversal of the stock action during the day. I mean, I agree with everything Tim was saying. This, I mean, this really is an incredibly powerful story when you think about the cash hoard, which is enormous, when you think about the mode of their business, when you think about, I mean, we haven't even really started to see cost cuts, which is something we really never see from Google in any meaningful way. So um, I think to the extent that there's softness, they'll be able to help the bottom line somewhat. But it's not really a, a, you know, a near second quarter, third quarter story even. It's just a, it's such an extraordinary business. And that cash hoard is huge. I'm glad they're still using it because that cushion is gigantic. But also you take that cash out of the valuation and it gets even cheaper. It is not a, it is not a crazy price for an extraordinary business. All right, let's get more on the quarter here. Bring in Loop Ventures' Gene Munster. He's been listening in on the company's call. Uh, so, Gene, what are the highlights so far from that call? Melissa, I want to start with this is a stellar advertising business. Hats off to them. It's pretty easy to do the math. They talk about this tail of the two quarters. We can just simply break the quarter down into the first nine weeks and then the three weeks where things really hit. And they were growing their advertising business at 20%, which is the same rate that they grew over the past four years. Impressive. And what is more uh, surprising to me is over the final three weeks of the quarter, they effectively grew that. It was effectively flat. They talked about on the earnings call that it declined dramatically from that 20%. But for me, a flat business in this uh, environment is impressive. So hats off for an incredible advertising business. Engagement to off the charts. The amount of searching that's done is 4x higher than where it was in the Super Bowl. So people are at home. They're using Google products. This is all really good for uh, their advertising business. But I think it was Guy who was talking earlier, too, is that just to put this into perspective is uh, for companies on the other side of this, what does the, the future of investing look like? 
this is still an advertising business. I mean, we have cloud, which is really the only diversification is 8% of revenue, solid business. But if you compare that to a company, let's say Apple, which is uh, slightly more than half the revenue is outside of the iPhone and other companies that are really trying to engineer the future world, that's where I come to as a trader, as someone who's investing in this, think about the multiple longer term, 26 times next year right. is still a pretty healthy multiple. Gene, I don't know how the ad, uh, how advertisers work in terms of how real time their, what Google take or what Alphabet takes in is a reflection of what is going on in the economy. But for instance, if you're, if you're a travel company or a small business and you want to advertise on Google, do you buy that a week out? Do you buy that two weeks out? I'm just trying to figure out if there's a lag time because they're specifically talking about the last three weeks that we have seen. And so if people have sort of bought that ad space three weeks ago, maybe we don't really know what the full effect is. So the, what's unique about the Google model, this is different than Facebook. There is that lag effect. We'll be paying close attention to that. It turns off uh, virtually immediately. There's not pre-buys on that. And so uh, that's why they refer this as two quarters. I think there's a very uh, clear delineation uh, after the first week in March. And so that's uh, good news. Uh, they can come back uh, relatively quickly. Uh, they also had uh, on the, the piece of the, the comeback side, as they said that some of the the results in uh, Asia Pacific were slightly more positive, which I think uh, speaks to trying to put some of these pieces together about when this recovery starts. Um, it is, I'm a, a conservative person. I uh, try to uh, always uh, exceed expectations. And I think that uh, Google is setting expectations here that ultimately things are starting to improve. It is, is uh, encouraging. All right. Gene, thank you. Thanks for your time and analysis. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Um, so, Guy, your quick thought after hearing what Gene said and, and the latest from the conference call. Well, to, I'm not correcting Gene because it's hard. He can't see. But it was Steve, I think, that mentioned sort of uh, the, the, the diversification that Google enjoys or, to Steve's point, maybe not enjoys as much of a thing. And again, if you're putting a trader cap on, which I think Gene was sort of doing, I'm not taking anything away from the quarter and the fact that you know, they probably uh, operated better than a lot of people expected. My point is this. If we look at it in the context of what the broader market did, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, I don't think there's anything wrong at this level, this 1275, 1280 level, which, again, is a 50 percent retracement of the all-time high in the recent low, to take some money off the table and look to buy this stock cheaper. All right. After our session highs for shares of Alphabet up 4.4 percent, we'll keep you uh, we'll keep you posted on on all those moves in the conference call. Meantime, breaking news on Uber. The ride hailing giant is discussing plans to lay off about 20 percent of its employees. Let's bring in Amir Efradi. He just broke the story on the information. Amir, great to have you with us. Um, already on April 16th, they withdrew guidance. So we know that they were uh, foreseeing the impact of, of covid. But uh, tell us what sorts of employees and, and what other sorts of cost-cutting measures may, may be in the offing. Well, employees of all ride-hailing companies, whether at Uber or Lyft or anywhere else around the world, um, have seen their businesses take a nosedive uh, by as much as 80% compared to last year. So I think there's an expectation broadly that layoffs were upcoming. Um, it's unfortunate because ride-hailing at Uber was actually turning a net profit in the last two quarters of last year. A lot of people don't even realize that. But um, nevertheless, it's, uh, it's all gone now, and they don't know when the recovery is going to happen. So uh, a 20% reduction in headcount is one of the things they are very seriously discussing right now. Some groups may be 
hit harder than others within that company, but it's a pretty huge company, uh, 27,000 employees. Uh, you know, Uber withdrew guidance, as I mentioned, mid-April, uh, then Lyft followed by withdrawing their guidance, I think, about a week later. Um, are we to sort of extrapolate, Amir, and, and think probably this will happen also at Lyft? Yes. Uh, Lyft is um, much smaller in terms of its business. So its fixed costs, including employees, are a much bigger percentage than even at Uber. Um, and at least at Uber, they have something to cling to, right? They have a hot food delivery unit, Uber Eats, that is actually growing uh, just as fast as it was in the fourth quarter of last year right now. Um, so they at least have something to hold on to and, and put their effort into. All right. Amir, thank you. Amir Afradi of The Information with his report uh, tonight. Uh, Tim Seymour, I go to you on this. We're looking for a return to normal in all sorts of industries, and this is another industry. So where would you expect that turn to happen? Well, I think that turn happens. Uh, you know, there's some similar dynamics here, obviously, with the airlines. If you think about whether you're more comfortable in a you know, kind of localized environment getting into a ride chair versus getting into an airplane when you have to go someplace or you really want to go someplace. Um, but the, the easier decision is to maybe, you know, locally figure out something else. And, and so I, I think... Um, Look, the fact that they're cutting costs and doing what they can to get through a difficult time, um, you know, we had already started to talk about balance sheet issues with uh, with this company in particular. So um, I, I think this is a case where uh, you have very little reason to get back in, especially for a company that, yes, was showing profitability trends, but still uh, the complexity of this business makes it a harder business in this environment. Um, and if you had the relative value, would you rather Lyft is an easier call here, but neither are uh, businesses that we really understand the headwinds just yet. I don't see why you have to invest in this name. Self, would you rather? And then you pulled out, I go for option C. I love that. <laughs> Recalcitrant. All right, coming up, we've got a lot more earnings reports to break down for you. We will dive into the numbers from Starbucks, Ford, and AMD. But first, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson joins us with his thoughts on the earnings season and why he thinks we may have turned a corner. Stay with us. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money Stock, selling off in the final hour of trade today. The Dow snapping a four-day win streak while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ closed at session lows. The MAGA stocks having a tough day as we kick off a huge round of tech earnings. Let's bring in Mike Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. We uh, got the back. Well, thank you. We've got the report from Alphabet, and the stock's uh, up in the after-hour session about 1% over um, what it lost in today's regular session. I'm curious if the rest of tech sort of delivers like this, do you think that we can hold on to gains? That's enough? Well, look, I think uh, you guys have said it right. I mean, it just got back in the aftermarket where it lost throughout the day. 
Um, these stocks have just been tremendous winners for years, not just uh, this year. And look, our our view on the market overall is that you know we're bullish overall, and we just think there's more upside in potentially some of the laggard areas. And one of the reasons we feel that way is because the quite frankly the revisions have been much worse. Uh, the earnings revisions have been much worse for some of these smaller cap names and some of these out of favor areas. And so the, the the downside risk is less there. And, and, and when things turn, which we think they will in the economy later this year, there's just more operating leverage and upside in those names. That's, that's not saying anything bad about Google or, or the large cap growth stocks. They're wonderful companies. They're wonderful business models. But they just don't have the upside potential that some of these other laggard areas do. So in terms of the upside that you foresee, what's your forecast currently? And, and I'm curious, in terms of that upside, you're saying that this, this rotation that we've seen recently um, to value, that's going to persist? That is going to drive that upside? Yeah, it's not so much value. as I mean, you can have gross stocks that have lagged, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really um, kind of names that have just not been leading in the past cycle. So whenever you have a recession, you should be looking for leadership change. It's just the way it works. Uh, and typically, it does revert back to early cycle groups. And so part of those are value areas, so consumer discretionary, some of the banks, uh, some of the really beaten up areas, maybe in the mm-hmm. material space, even energy stocks have, had a, have been on a tear. I wouldn't recommend diving back into energy, given what's going on there in the commodity markets per se. Right. But you can see what I'm saying. I mean, the areas that have just been you know, completely eviscerated have potentially more upside. And it should be a broader market, right? When you come out of a recession, it should broaden out. And that's what we're seeing. We're starting to see it broadening out. And I think it's a healthy development. Guy, you got a question. Mike, you've never, yeah, I'm sorry, Mel. Ma- Mike, you've navigated this really well, the broader market. In terms of, first of all, does it matter necessarily what your forecast for S&P 500 earnings are? If it does, you know, what's your number and what's the right multiple given what the Federal Reserve is doing right now? Yeah, I don't think 2020 really matters that much, Guy. I mean, I think the market is already looking past this year into 2021. And so 2021 does matter. For for right now, our range is sort of 150 to 160. Uh, I could see an upside case to 170 if, you know, we get back to work faster and there's no recurrence of the virus. I could also see downside to, you know, 140 next year if things really go poorly. But right now, I'd say between 150 and 160, and then we do think the multiple can actually expand further, given what the Federal Reserve is doing. To your point, they have, you know, completely uh, taken out, uh, you know, uh, the chance of risk premium blowing out again with their intervention in credit markets directly. And so I, I, I think you can trade 19 to 20 times earnings uh, later this year on sort of a 150, 160 number, which gets you to 3,000 as a base case and maybe 3,200 as an upside case. Mike, I've been long, it's Steve, by the way, I've been long value waiting for this rotation to take hold and longer than a day or two. When you're looking at value and this taking place, what gives you the confidence that it could actually take place this time? And what segments of the value sector, basically, are you uh, thinking it will have the most upside? Yeah, I mean, the, what's different this time, Steve, is that we have a recession, right? So we've We've been loath to kind of make this sort of rotational call into these cyclical areas. And I would, I would, I would say it's cyclicals versus defensives more than value versus growth. Because, you know, look, a part, good parts of value, uh, the defensive parts of value work, you know, beautifully the last couple of years. Those are late cycle uh, areas. So what we're really talking about is early cycle uh, sectors 
that tend to do best coming out of a recession and into a recovery. And as I mentioned before, that would be things like consumer discretionary, like the banks, um, like some maybe the consumer services area that have been beaten up because of the, the, this recession is really centered on that. And then maybe some of the commodity areas uh, could participate as well. Mike, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Karen Feinerman, consumer discretionary. I mean, we're talking about sectors that are sort of difficult to understand how this turn happened. We were talking about getting back to normal for retail. I mean, is curbside pickup going to be normal? Is shopping by appointment going to be normal? Is travel going to be normal? These are all within the sector. I mean, today they would tell you it's going back to normal pretty quickly. I mean, retail was, you know, on fire today as well as a lot of those other beaten down sectors. I think there will be a return to normal, maybe not in the next six months, but longer than that in the next year. I do think there will be a return to normal. I just don't know who's going to survive that, whether the department stores are. Someone like a Lululemon, of course they're going to survive and thrive, and their stock reflects that. But I'm optimistic on one day back to normal. All right, coming up, we're right in the heat of earnings season, and we've got a lot of reports to break down for you. We'll get the details behind Starbucks, Ford, and AMD. Plus, take a look at a few of the companies tapping the junk bond market in recent weeks. But is this debt riskier than investors think? Fast Money's back in two. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Pass Money. We've got an earnings triple play. Starbucks, Ford, AMD, all on the move after reporting results. We've got full team coverage standing by. Josh Lipton's out west with the latest on AMD. Philip Bowes in Chicago with more on Ford. But we kick things off with Kate Rogers in Starbucks. Kate. Hi, Melissa. Well, a mixed second quarter for Starbucks, a miss on EPS, but a beat on revenue. Same store sales fell by 10% globally, 3% in the United States, and 50% in China. Starbucks said it had a very strong holiday season, one of its best in history before COVID disrupted 
operations, causing it to close nearly half of its stores temporarily in the U.S. And remember, that's its biggest market. CEO Kevin Johnson sounded upbeat and positive, though, on the earnings call. The company says nearly all of its stores in China are now back to normal operations. Same store sales in mid-April were down about 35 percent in China. In February, that number was above 90 percent. Starbucks also says it's now moved on to a monitor and adapt phase here in the U.S., and it'll start to slowly and carefully reopen here in May. While Starbucks did pull its full-year guidance earlier in the month, the company said given the late-quarter onset of COVID-19 in the U.S., it expects the negative financial impacts of COVID-19 to be significantly greater in Q3, its current quarter compared to this one, and to extend into Q4 uh, for fiscal year 20, but at a more moderate level. So giving a little bit more color there, even though it did you know, officially pull its full-year guidance. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers on Starbucks. Uh, Tim Seymour, I know you like this name. I'm looking at Tim's shot, and I think it's frozen. So I'm going to pivot and go to Steve Grasso here. Um, Steve, in, in terms of, <laughs> I mean, they, they already gave us a lot of information before when they did withdraw guidance and they talked about China, et cetera. So is there anything different out of this quarter that makes you think any differently about this investment? Uh, no. When, you know, I always compare. I throw Starbucks in with Dunkin' Donuts, even though they're two different models. One's corporate-owned, one's a franchise model. But Starbucks is always outperforming. My nervousness and hesitation in Starbucks is that what made it a great stock and it became a cult stock is that social engagement. So uh, the more you dip into the digital side of Starbucks makes me think that they're getting away from their grassroots and what makes it a successful company. Uh, all, and the other side of it is... China is still devastatingly terrible. And the more that lasts, the more they're going to get into digital and the more they move away from what they do best. So I don't think they're out of the woods. I wouldn't be buying. It sounds like Rasa is saying that whole notion of being able to hang out and use free Wi-Fi in the bathrooms, even if you don't buy anything. I mean, like that, that is the Starbucks culture guide. I mean, is that what makes Starbucks successful? Is that integral to its brand, the ability to walk into any Starbucks at any time without buying anything and use a bathroom, use a Wi-Fi and camp out? <laughs> it's part of the experience, clearly. And it's again, this is not my necessarily, you know, my go to place to hang out and get Wi-Fi. With that said, I understand what Steve is saying. Part of it is the experience. The problem, the biggest problem I have with Starbucks is evaluation. You know, it's probably trading close to 28 times next year's numbers, which is either very expensive, this environment, or if you don't care because the Fed is the ultimate backstop, doesn't really matter. I think it does matter in this environment. And I'm, you know, it's had a pretty big run off the bottom, like most of these stocks have. I would understand why you'd be taking profits or getting out of this name and looking for another reentry lower in Starbucks. All right, let's get to Ford now. It is down after reporting results. We get the Phil LeBeau in Chicago with the latest. Phil. Melissa, it's down because of what the outlook is for the second quarter. Let's quickly touch on the first quarter. But as with so many companies, it's really not what they did. January and February were fine. March, ridiculously bad. Uh, the stock is under pressure. They lost $2 billion in the first quarter. The coronavirus direct impact, they've calculated it to be a $2 billion impact. And in terms of cash flow, negative $2.2 billion in the first quarter. But as I mentioned, it's all about where the liquidity is and where this company is right now. They currently expect the loss of $5 billion, an adjust, adjusted loss of $5 billion in the second quarter. Liquidity stands at $35 billion. Remember, they just had a couple of offerings, I want to say about a week, week and a half ago, 
highly oversubscribed. They brought up, uh, they raised $8 billion. The Ford CFO, he says that the cash they have on hand, even if they don't do anything in terms of increasing production, it's sufficient to get them through to the end of the year. And we know that production will come back in some fashion. By the way, they're targeting May 18th, along with GM and Fiat Chrysler, as a potential, potential start date. But again, a lot of things up in the air. It's a very fluid situation. The conference call is underway. We're going to hop on that, see what CEO Jim Hackett has to say. But again, Ford expecting to lose at least $5 billion in the second quarter. Melissa, back to you. Thanks, Phil. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Karen Feinerman, what do you say about Ford? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, not much. I mean, it's really hard to believe it's a five and change dollar <laughs> stock. I'd much rather be in GM. All, I mean, a lot of the same macro, of course, but GM has gotten out of their European exposure to a great extent. Ford hasn't. Um, and the balance sheet is much better. And I think, you know, they did suspend dividend and buyback, which they should. But if you want to be in the auto space, which has really not gotten a bid no matter what, it seems, um, then I would much rather be in GM. All right. Let's run out this uh, triple play of earnings with AMD. The stock is down on results. Let's get to Josh Lipton with the latest. Josh. So, Melissa, let's get right to the guidance here. For Q2, they're looking for revenue of about $1.85 billion, plus or minus $100 million. Street was closer to $1.92 billion for the year. And there was some debate about this, whether they give color or not. They do. They say they're looking for revenue up about 25%. They say plus or minus 5 percentage points. Expectation is closer to 28%. Two segments, remember, for AMD, computing and graphics segment. Revenue, $1.44 billion. That was a beat. That segment, remember, includes chips for PCs. Um, also, that segment would include graphics chips for gaming as well. On the other hand, the other segment you want to watch, their enterprise embedded and semi-custom division. Revenue there, $348 million. That was a miss. Um, that would include chips for the data center as well as chips for game consoles like Xbox and PlayStation. I checked in with Hans Mosesman over at Rosenblatt early in the day. He covers the name. He says that segment, yes, it's smaller, but that really should be the focus for investors. Those server processors, he says, those are the more strategic and profitable area for the company over the long haul. Guys, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks, Josh Lipton. Uh, let's trade AMD guy. So quickly, I will trade AMD. You know, to answer why is Ford lower, it's lower because the stock is trading. I mean, that's been true for the last 10 years, not to cast aspersions. <laughs> but if you look, that's exactly what happens. Number one. Number two, AMD, if you look, it traded up to 59 and change, I think February 18th, and had that crater move like the rest of the world, and then came back recently, traded up to 59. This quarter isn't that bad. I'm surprised it's as low as it is. I understand what's going on here, but I think the CEO is on tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, on one of the morning shows. I think if this stock gets down to 51 and a half, 52, you buy it with both hands because typically they're able to explain the quarter a lot better in a longer form. So, you know, 51 and a half, 52, I think AMD is an absolute buy, Melms. And I think it's trading 53 and change right now. 9.15 a.m., you are correct, Lisa Sue on CNBC, so you won't want to miss that. Um, coming up, Building Big Gains will tell you what the nation's biggest home builder said about the future that sent shares surging today. And later, we are gearing up for Facebook earnings. We'll tell you why options traders are doing some social media distancing heading into that report. By the way, shares of Alphabet are higher by 7.6%. We'll get some answers behind that big move after hours uh, right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Alphabet hitting after hours high up almost 8%. At one point, it's now up 7.6%. Deidre Bose has got more on this big move. Deidre. 
Hey, Melissa, that's right. Um, we are listening to the call and a number of times uh, CFO Ruth Port has been talking about uh, perhaps some green shoots. She says that they are seeing some early signs that users are returning to commercial behavior, but she says it's not clear how durable or how monetizable that will be. She cautions that a few weeks do not make a quarter. But as this call has been going on, you have seen Alphabet shares move up to the tune of nearly 8%. There's also been a lot of talk around YouTube numbers that were strong and the company saying that YouTube direct response has been strong, but again, cautioning this a little bit and saying that they're seeing a decline in brand advertising. Again, the talk has surrounded a lot of the strong momentum on YouTube and cloud. Of course, remember that cloud makes up less than 7% of total revenue. So while it is seeing strength and while the company says that they are going to continue to invest in this business, it still makes up a small amount. But I think, uh, Melissa, these green shoots, we'll call them these early signs, may be giving investors a little bit of hope, even though the company is cautioning. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa with the latest on Alphabet shares surging after hours, as we said. Facebook, by the way, is also higher by about 3.6 percent. Twitter's up by almost 3 percent on this big move in in Alphabet. Tim, can we extrapolate? Should we extrapolate? (laughs) Yeah, we should extrapolate. Again, I I think the bottom up story at Google, uh, even in a world where the macro and the headwinds are, are well flagged, is so strong um, for a company that is, is, is transitioning into higher growth businesses. Again, you guys used the word diversification earlier in the show. So, Ah, technology fails us once again. If you could see this board of the different shots that freeze occasionally just because it, that happens with remote shows like this, it's like beep, 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 whammy. <laughs> and, and Tim was it. Um, Karen's also not here. So let's go to Grasso. We were talking about the extrapolation (laughs) to Facebook and Twitter. Grasso, you're not frozen yet, so why don't you uh, give us your your two cents? No. (laughs) No, there's a conspiracy theory that I've been cutting the lines for Karen and Tim just so I can get in here. But I I would say that the the extrapolation, I'm on board with that because when I was looking at Snap and, and Twitter towards the end of the day, I thought, hey, you know, they're going to be an outsized move based on the cut of the reduction in ad spend. So when we start to see these numbers be better than thought, then it's going to go with the higher beta play. So I would expect to see Twitter and Snap both up tomorrow. I would expect to see all these ad plays up tomorrow. I would unfortunately expect to see value sold off, at least for the remainder of the week. All right, let's move on. Now, the nation's biggest home builder just gave us a big clue about what the path forward might look like for the U.S. economy. D.R. Horton shooting higher in today's session. The builder beat estimates, reported an uptick in sales within just the past two weeks. The company's CEO also painted a rosy picture about the future, saying, quote, the mood of the country seems to have improved over the last 30 days. D.R. Horton shares were up, I believe it was 9 percent or so uh, during the session. So, Tim, Here's the question. Well, I mean, I'm interested to see what your mood was over the past 30 days. If you've also um, been in a better mood. But but more importantly, um, can you have this consumer (laughs) whose mood is improving, but be potentially on the brink of, of some sort of economic downturn? 
I think the consumer is, in many cases, uh, again, think about their consumer and their target audience. Um, I think they have some clarity. I think based upon a minus 50 print they were talking about uh, just a few weeks ago, to come in at minus 11 um, is, is, is a lot of uh, you know, relief and exhale. But I have to say that, uh, first of all, these stocks, this stock's run uh, almost 85 percent off that intraday low, which was probably an extreme downdraft, but it's still 60 percent off the low. Uh, and, and I don't know that we know for sure. Um, I think home builders give you some read, uh, but ultimately the unemployment rate in this country, we know, look at jobless claims, essentially 18 percent of the U.S. employment uh, you know, workforce is, is now unemployed. Um, I, I think this is a relief, and I think home builders uh, are part of that recovery story and the lag story, but it's barely lagging at this point, and this is a less bad, uh, excited day, and that's not a reason to buy it tomorrow. All right. Coming up, credit concerns. Is the recent rush into junk bonds creating a high-yield hazard? We're digging in. Plus, Facebook on deck to report earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you how options traders are betting on the social media giant ahead of the results. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Fed taking center stage tomorrow as it wraps up a two-day meeting. At its last meeting, the central bank made an unprecedented move, saying it would buy high-yield bonds and high-yield bond ETFs. That sent news. Uh, that news sent the HYG ETF surging off of its March lows, and a slew of struggling companies have since tapped the debt markets, including Ford, Carnival Cruise Lines, and Gap. But has the Fed's virtual guarantee of backing these bonds created a big risk? In the market, Karen, and what we know so far is that the Fed actually has not bought one cent of high yield anything so far. I, I know. So how amazing is that, that all they have to do is just say that they will do it. And that kind of solves the problem. Right. Putting a huge floor under the HYG and um, uh, allowing those companies to then say, all right, I can tap those markets. And the Fed doesn't have to do one thing. And the banks that have those weaker loans then can get refi they can refi them out to to the markets more broadly and get a fee in their capital markets for doing it so that's a pretty amazing trick that the fed has done i mean it's amazing to think about how how sharply things have come back and they haven't even begun that that high yield program yet i don't know when they will it's uh, i hope soon i guess i don't know um, if they don't need to do anything maybe it's better they just leave the you know the word, we're here if we need to be, and then they don't have to do anything. That's probably pretty good. Right. But we, I mean, Amazing. Karen and I were talking earlier today about this very topic, um, just on the phone. And, and what we were saying is if the HYG has gone up this far off of the lows, right, is this a, is this a buy the rumor, sell the news sort of event? So, so people who bought into junk bonds are then going to, should they then sell to the Fed effectively? <laughs> What they have bought is is the time to get out pretty soon, guy. It's interesting, right? I mean, you a fan of the? And I'm going somewhere with this, so indulge me. Are you a fan of the Princess Bride, the movie, by any chance? Um, what do you think? No. no but I, I get not. where you're going. But okay, go ahead. But keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so. So the Dread Pirate Roberts, I mean, he didn't have to do anything. He just did it on reputation, right? And there were about 15 different Dread Pirate Roberts, and everybody was terrified because of the reputation. It's the same thing. Karen just said it. They don't have to do a thing to Federal Reserve, and, and things go up like magic. 
to answer your question, I don't think the world's necessarily gotten any better. But the fact that the Fed says that they're going to be there is giving people that that confidence that they need. Again, I'd be more inclined to sell into this uh, knowing maybe that the Fed is magically lower than to hope the Fed props these things up. So I'm sort of on the other side of this trade. And, and Karen is short the HYG. I'll just say that we've got a bunch of delays. I just want to kind of keep the conversation yes. going. But but Tim, if you were forced to choose trade it or fade it, sort of an embedded game within this segment of HYG, where would you go on that? Love this. Uh, I would fade it. Um, yeah. And and uh, again, I believe that the high yield markets have repaired the, plum- the Fed's going after the plumbing. We're talking about forward guidance. That's essentially the, the best tool the Fed has. It's, it's one of the, the few tools it seems like they have left. And I think we talk about on this show all the time about the credibility of the Federal Reserve. Obviously, the market backed that forward guidance on the high yield market. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that ultimately they can support it. The Fed is jawboning the market. Remember the last crisis, uh, Hank Paulson talked about having a bazooka in his pocket. Right. And that alone was enough. The Fed's got the biggest bazooka in the world. And, and, and that is enough to jawbone the market, as we know. Mm. It's not a reason to go buy value in high yield or lack thereof. Quick to Grasso. Same question. Trade or fade HYG? I'm going to trade it, and it is trapped below its 50-day moving average, so I'd wait till it breaks above this, uh, this $80 mark. But remember, during the financial crisis, there was too big to fail. Now no one will be allowed to fail. So whether or not the Fed has done what they said they were going to do, they eventually will. I'd be a buyer of it. Trade it. All right. Up next, we are counting down to Facebook's earnings, why options traders are betting on a big drop when the company reports. And later, frequent flyers listen up. We will show you what really happens when someone coughs on a plane. The dirty details behind this must-see video in Fast Money Return. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alphabet hitting after-hours highs on earnings. Next up, Facebook reports tomorrow after the bell. That stock is down 11% on the year, dropped another 2% today. In the options market, traders are betting on even bigger losses right around the corner. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. Interestingly enough, I just joined Facebook, or maybe not interestingly enough, last week. So I must be the last person to sign up. Maybe the options market was figuring I was top-ticking the product. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 6.6%. And interestingly, that's less than the 7.7% that the stock has averaged over the last eight quarters. And a lot of the opening activity that we saw today was in the weekly 170 strike puts. Those were trading for about $1.20. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the stock is going to decline after they report below that 170 strike by at least the $1.20 that they paid. That would put the stock below 168.80 by the end of this week. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe, for more options action, tune in to the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, the plain truth behind what really happens when someone coughs on an airplane. we got the dirty details. We come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Southwest Airlines gaining altitude today. The company reporting results announcing plans for a new capital raise. Southwest CEO telling CNBC today the company is encouraging passengers to wear masks. Meantime, JetBlue becoming the first major U.S. airline to mandate face coverings for all passengers. That starts next month. But here's a big question. Will masks be enough to make you feel safe on a plane? The Washington Post publishing this animation from Purdue University. It shows how germs really travel inside a plane 
and the visualization shows you how tiny invisible droplets from a single cough can flow throughout the cabin of a Boeing 767 jet. So imagine you're sitting next to or in the surrounding seats of that purple seat, and you're just uh, out of luck, basically. Um, Karen Feinerman, do we use that sort of information to try and understand whether or not people go back on planes? Well, I'm actually very glad that I can't see that video. Um, I think the mask will help. They'll have to address it other ways as well. I don't know if they help with the circulation system or what. I don't know. Clearly, they have to address it or they have to somehow get that video off the air. (laughs) But I'm optimistic one day air travel will be back. One day. Well, we just keep playing it in a loop over and over and over again. (laughs) So... (laughs) So tough luck for them. Um, I mean, obviously, the FAA could mandate. I mean, they, they do all sorts of things when it comes to requirements about air quality. And what could that mean, Tim? I mean, you've been an investor in the airlines for airline profitability. If they start coming in saying, you know what, you need these filtration systems, you need this and that, you got to wear masks, you need PPE, whatever it is. There's, there's clearly going to be a, a new normal. Sorry for that term. Um, and it's clearly going to be one where also how... how how are we going to eat the peanuts on the airplane if we've on got a mask, a, a mask on? Um, yeah. So I, I, I do think it's a case where uh, airlines rallied big today just right. on the fact that you actually are starting to get some plans out of airlines. I think that's important. That's a good question. Peanuts. Uh, Grasso, final trade time. <laughs> so Shake Shack, I've been along this one for a while. It's bounced already 75%. Stay in Shake Shack. Karen. Yes, I am short HYG, but I have long banks. And Bank America had 1.2 times tangible book. I think it's Guy. A good AMD on the weakness, sister. Tim. Baba, love it. Two weeks reports. Mad Money's up next. John Ford sits down with NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong and ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott on the future of AI, live from ServiceNow's Knowledge 2024 conference in Vegas. Closing bell overtime, today 4 Eastern, CNBC.